Welcome once again into the Soccer OG. That's me, Max Bredos. As I always like to remind you, please subscribe while you're there, rate and review. Do as you please. We always enjoy the feedback and it helps this podcast grow. Another big show coming your way today. Joining me in the business end, it is Sam's Army of Barstool Sports. Yeah, they have a soccer department there and they are growing it in a unique way. I'll get his thoughts as an American looking at what's happening across the pond, specifically with the protests at Old Trafford. In stoppage time, I'm going to be talking the World Cup of 2022. You know, it's right around the corner. It's coming at a weird time and part of the year. So what can we expect? How are we going to watch it? And how will it help the sport grow here in the United States? We're just getting started. We love it here. So join me for the Soccer OG, which will start right now. We are back on the Soccer OG, and there is never a dull minute. Here we are, getting all the games in, looking forward to the final stretch of the European season. Cup competitions, trophies to be won, leagues to be won. And then in England, you have the biggest fixture of the year, Manchester United versus Liverpool. And I get up Sunday morning, and it's not on TV. What is happening? Well, as we all know now, the game was postponed. We knew there were going to be protests the days earlier. And still, fans were able to get onto the field at Old Trafford, protest. The Super League was viewed as the final straw in the Manchester United fans, which has now become the biggest brand in world football, against the Glazer family, the American owners who were part of the Super League and on all accounts have misplaced a few steps along their way in running this club. But from day one, make no mistake, the Manchester United fans never wanted the Glazers. From day one, the protests have come. Maybe they knew something. And in hindsight, maybe they were right. But it also gives you a little bit of pause when you look at this whole situation. What can we believe? What is everyone upset about? What do they want changed? We want specifics. We heard about the stadium. The stadium is dilapidated. You think of Old Trafford, you think of the Theater of Dreams, you think of Holy Ground. Apparently, there's a lot of flaws. Rain coming through the roof, all sorts of stuff that a world-class stadium has to repair. Maybe that's a starting point. We heard about the misfinances, how they take out a loan and We do things a certain way in the United States. Well, in Europe, they do it a little bit different. You leverage the money off the loan to pay your corporation or whatever it is. And in this case, the Glazers have done that. Now, have they spent money on the club? Without question. Lots of money. And are they going to spend money moving forward? Without question. They are in the market for the biggest transfers in the world. Top of that list, Erling Haaland over at Borussia Dortmund. Who knows? Kylian Mbappe. They're going to get someone big, but they have made a lot of big moves. Have they worked on their academy? Without question. Manchester United said that, and now they are reaping the benefit with all these key players that have come through the Manchester United system, who are now everyday starters for a team that is second in the Premier League and on their way to a European final. It's not the Champions League. It's the Europa League. But when I look at Manchester United, I see a club headed for a very rosy future. All the things they've put in place from that academy buildup where you have 
the Marcus Rashford's up there making an impression. And if they can get the right pieces, they hired a manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, which has been criticized. He is just getting better in that position. Manchester United are now beating teams comfortably. So when we see that in the United States and we see the anger of the fans and what they do to the lengths at Old Trafford, the United States were a little puzzled because we see things differently with regards to team success. You should be happy. But there's obviously a lot more there. There's a lot of things we don't understand. And I respectfully step down when discussing those topics. But when it comes to money and sense, you can't have your parochial club and want to be the best team in the world. It doesn't work that way. Lines get blurred. And I want to see the lines straightened up a bit so this these protests are for the right reason. The Super League was a terrible idea, sure. Is it dead? I don't think so. But Manchester United, through the fans' perspective, are paying a high price. The Glazers are. More so than other clubs, quite frankly, that were involved in that Super League. We will talk about that, but we'll talk a lot about football. I'll be joined uh, by Sam's Army. That's his, his pseudonym. Pseudonym, you know, he we, we, he keeps a mysterious world. He He's a smart guy on social media, pushing the beautiful game to a new audience. So we'll have him here for the first time, see how he does, see if he can hang with the OG. You know what I mean, Jellybean? And I'm talking about the 2022 World Cup too, because, you know, I got to thinking, it's kind of coming up real quickly. It's going to be in the wintertime, all sorts of challenges and how it's going to squeeze the lemon the most to set the table It's the gateway for the biggest stretch for the sport in our country's history. How do we approach it here for 2026 when the United States and Mexico and Canada host the biggest sporting event on the planet? Well, enough of my yapping. This is the Soccer OG. Please subscribe. Please subscribe. We need your help. And I appreciate all those who are listening in. Tell a friend. Let's build this baby together. It's our podcast. Business end coming up. Sam's Army to talk about a whole lot of stuff happening. It's a busy time of year. This is the Soccer OG. We are back here on the Soccer OG. It's time for the business end. And I asked this gentleman to join me but it seems like the perfect guest right now with everything that's happening. You know, he's the mysterious Sam's army of Barstool Sports. We see you on Twitter, we, we hear you on Twitter, and you, now we see the man behind it, or we're gonna hear the man behind all this incredible social media development. I will say, creating a new audience at Barstool Sport for soccer, because hey, it's gotta be tough real estate, right? Yeah, it's tough sledding, you know, that you got the on the Barstool side that they don't really love soccer. And then you got on the soccer side, they don't definitely don't really love Barstool. So it's a it's a weird dynamic. Um, but yeah, I feel like we're making a little headway here and there. Yeah, that's I, I saw that all happen. And I'm like, look, this is these are conversations. You're, first of all, a good dude. And I, I some of the stuff that was you know happening and people are going, hey, it's Barstool. Like it's this, you know, we, yeah. we can't. It's not it's not the way it should be. Everything, every company has uh, its own presentation. And if you want to look deep, you'll find stuff. But, you know, the people within them, uh, you guys do a great job. And I, I enjoy all the content, especially you. I mean, you, are you, I Instagram and Twitter, I'm on there every day. <laughs> you keep me up to speed with stuff. The Inter Milan celebrations you saw, I, I, I got to see it on your channels first. So there you go. <laughs> 
yeah, you know, just trying to give give the people what they want, whether they whether they know they want it yet or not. You know, the, <laughs> the people the people want a lot, and the, the obviously, and I can't believe what's going on in, in this our soccer world. Obviously, the Super League was all encompassing, and the after effect continues to roll on with what happened here with Manchester United and the protests at Old Trafford, which forced the postponement of the game between Manchester United and Liverpool. It has been lauded as a triumph for the fans. I'm a little bit caught up in between. Obviously, there's Super League showed the greed of the owners, and we saw that from all the clubs that were involved. It's not a, it's not a, a clean business owning a soccer club by any means. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what exactly the anger's about. They have every reason. They, they haven't been great owners, the Glazers, because they've never reached out to the fans. I see that. I also, on a flip side, would say the fans never really gave them a chance. As soon as they found out the Glazers were taking over, they were up in arms for whatever it was when that happened. But Manchester United wasn't in a great place. So this game gets postponed. I, I was completely floored by it. Some of the people in England are going, it's a peaceful protest. I saw the videos. It wasn't peaceful. There's people being pushed. There's stuff being thrown. It was a scary situation. And that kind of stuff has to be quelled. And they knew this was going to happen. And still, it went through what it did. But I think we're both in the same boat. We fell in love with the English League. You're a Tottenham Hotspur fan. I'm a West Ham fan. We endeared ourselves to the culture. We endeared ourselves to the English culture because that is where the league was emanating. So we have some stock in it, but we are Americans. And I Mm -hmm. see it from the American business perspective. And I always say to myself, this is how they make the donuts. This is how you do it. It's not, you know, it's you don't want to go to the slaughterhouse sometimes to see how the sausages are made. But it's maybe that's the best analogy. But then you get in there and then we have this situation. I think. It's great to see fan power. I just don't want to see it ex, you know, escalate to this. There was a sign that I saw that that always bugs me about what was happening. It says, we, where did I go that? Oh, man, I forgot. I, I can't have that. We decide when you play. That's what, yeah. the, that's what it was. It was like a rallying cry. So your thoughts when you woke up or when you were up already you, and you saw this going down. Yeah, I'm in Chicago, so I was already up at the time. I know the I was West Coast people. I know you guys are just like getting, you know, rubbing the the uh, the bed bugs or whatever out of your eyes. I don't know how you do it out there, but um, yeah, it was it was crazy. I sort of saw it fomenting just at the beginning. There were some people at the hotel. There were some people outside of the stadium. Um, it was peaceful at first, and then all of a sudden, they cut into the Arsenal Newcastle game, and they're like, well. So there's fans inside, you know, Old Trafford right now. Uh, they're not supposed to be there, and uh, they're on the field. So this is weird. Uh, you had Arlo White, who was, you know, preparing for the game. Uh, he was just sort of standing there looking at him, watching him, being like, I don't know what's going on here. Um, and if it was just that, like, I, I heard, you know, Rob, both Robbies were both like, you can't do this. You can't go on the field. It's, you, you're taking it too far. I don't know. I mean, like protesting is protesting. You you, you got to take it to a certain level if you're going to want to get attract attention. So I understand. I don't know how they got on the field. I don't know how they got in the stadium. I think if there's somebody who really dropped the ball today, it had to have been the police. Like they, they knew, knew this was going to happen. Knew it this stinks. was going to happen, and they didn't have the security there to to you know uh, keep fans out of the stadium, which is crazy to me. Uh, but 
as long if the fans had gone in and they had sort of made their point and then they left, which actually sounds like what that first people there were some people who were throwing cameras like okay that's a little bit too far but the people who went on the field they got their you know selfie videos and they got out and i was like okay i mean that's interesting i don't know how they did it uh but it seems like okay you got people's attention now i don't know if it's gonna have any impact uh but you know i i sort of respected the way that it happened but then it continued and it got worse and then there was people fighting outside and then there was the the cop with like you could clearly see it you know, yeah, he's cut gash on his face. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't peaceful at the end of it, and that's just how these things tend to go, unfortunately. Um, but back to your original point on the Glazers, like, so there are there's some good arguments there. Like, you know, they've been sucking profits out of that club big time. Like, if you look at the financial statements, they have, you know, they've been. Um, I saw one stat: if they don't make the Champions League, the players take a twenty five percent pay cut. If they don't make the Champions League, the dividends that they give to their shareholders are just the same. Mm, yeah, <laughs> they're exactly the same. And these huge dividends they're giving to the shareholders. By the way, who's the biggest shareholder? The Glazers. Um, so you know, I mean, there's there's some legitimate arguments. Unfortunately, there's some undercurrents that don't strike me and probably you as just Americans. There's an there's an anti-Americanism yes. you know, element to this that it was you know, there from the beginning when always. the Glazers arrived. And I, I had I had arguments on Twitter with people saying it was because they're American. Absolutely not. We love Tim Howard. I go, bull. At the beginning, <laughs> he had to prove it and everything. And by the way, we're going to talk about this is a this is a perfect show. American ownership, American coaching, and American players. Oh here on this America first. But the ownership <laughs> I say Manchester, you're right. It's but when I was hearing what you explained, I go, that's kind of the MO for business in the United States. I, right. I maybe it's not that way in Europe. So when I was like, they're saying about this shareholders and taking profits out to feed yourself as the chairman of the board, I go, well, that's kind of that's the, <laughs> the opera, you know, that's how they operate. Modus uh, operandi. Modus operandi, yeah. I think, because I forgot how to say that because my Latin's been suffering. <laughs> and then I was like, okay. I know there's an undercurrent. I I have the highest respect for the clubs. And I know you they are not like American sport teams. They're not. Not even our soccer clubs here. They're not the same thing. But it's there's something there. And I, I try to compare. I go, would you like to be in Italy with the some of the ownership groups there from other parts of the world? It ain't great. And the Manchester United situation, unfortunately, Americans are confused because they're like, wait, what's the problem? They're winning every game. They're you know what's crazy about what's happening in this Super League? I think it was obviously an after effect from the Super League. They're upset. And I think this is also pandemic related. They don't get a chance to be around the team. So it snowballed. I don't think it would have gone to that point without either of those two pieces, obviously. But mm-hmm. they said the Super League was what broke the camel's back. But now they bring in all this other stuff. Well, we were unhappy about this and unhappy about that. And I get it. But I, how do you make the message clear with what is it you want. They just went, Glazer's out. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what's around the corner? By the way, I would argue to anyone, and I think I could win the argument that Manchester United are better off since they owned than when the old group, the, the, the names of Mag- Magner and the Irish group that it was all sorts of a mess. <laughs> they spend money on players. I read somewhere they've spent since their 2013 when they last won the Premier League, 1.3 billion on players. I don't know if that's I read it from a decent source, but that sounds like an astronomical amount of money. <laughs> so they have that. And now they're competing. I think Manchester United's on the cusp of great things. That's neither here nor there. It's about the club values, and I get that. But all the water's been muddied on this. 
I guess it's just too it's 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 too much for me to take it at face value and say, okay, I support you because I'm like, no, no. And then the anti the anti-American, whether people want to say it or not, it's there. And I know for a fact it immediately built a foundation for those fans to dislike the Glazers who mishandled this all the way through that it built up something from the beginning that didn't have to be there. And it's, it's set everything off in the wrong direction. Yeah. The lack of communication, the lack of rapport with, with fans, you know, I understand why guys like Kroenke and the Glazers, they do that, but ultimately it's a problem, you know, and it leads to, it sort of accentuates any discord that may be there. And ultimately, if you really want to boil this down, the real problem is that Manchester United fans are used to winning and winning a lot. And you're, they're watching City win everything. They're watching Liverpool lift the you know Champions League and Premier League. And they're not winning these things. So ultimately, if that's what the real issue is here. The Premier League is, is, is headed for a golden era it, it, when I see this. Whether that's with these ownership groups here is neither here nor there. Uh, we could be here next week. We're going to preview the Champions League next week, and we could have an all-England Champions League final and an all-England Europa League final. It's not far-fetched. I think you have 50% of that pretty locked in, although I would give PSG a little bit more hope. But then we'll see if Chelsea and Arsenal can reverse things in the second. But they, I mean, not reverse them, but just finish the job. Uh, it is well. It, it's avoiding the Super League, it appears for now. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fans uh, obviously have a voice. And every team and every sport, the fans should have a voice because they are – that, that's the business model, that you need them. And when you have passionate fans like this, which are a big part why Manchester United have a global fan base, what people like us look for them and say, hey, I'm a Manchester United fan. It's appealing because of what they see at the, the stadium. I, I just think that if they we itemized it all and said, okay, okay, Old Trafford needs repairs. Okay, we can do that. Maybe the Glazers make a ship. But we will do this. We will start a, a project to get these repairs and invest in the stadium. I know also that the same fans that were screaming there, how unhappy, there were going to be the same fans screaming at the club, why don't we spend $150 million to get Erling Haaland? <laughs> Am I, are they going to do it face turn? They're going, no, we're a parochial club. It's all about these values. They're going to be like, no, let's outspend City yeah. Yeah. and Chelsea. Because yeah. now it's on. All these clubs, It's this, off, this last summer was quiet for obvious reasons. This summer, I don't know. I don't think so. I think the pressure is on and every club is looking for those three or four players that they want to build. And you know the names, Holland and Mbappe and keeping Messi. All of this stuff has to fall in place because, especially in England, the top four teams are all going to be going for the ring and they all are capable of grabbing it. That doesn't include your Tottenham Hotspur. It's the other four. Believe me, I know. (laughs) <laughs> and Arsenal, <laughs> Arsenal, and, and does it include West Ham though? Does not. I think. <laughs> I think the be, the good days are behind for West Ham. <laughs> oh boy! But it would, yeah, but what, it's just drama, drama, drama. And what did you think about the Premier League? I mean, this has been. I mean, Manchester United's having a great season. That's why I think people are confused. Yeah, like, wait a minute, and it, they're Man better City? than I thought. That's for sure. You know. The Manchester. I mean, there's a lot of criticism about the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer appointment. To me, that's been. Uh, on a legit a success, success right point, yeah i think you gotta call it a success right now even though he doesn't have the you know the trophies to to sort of back it up but they're playing well 
um, and they're they're clearly the the second best team in the league. You got to throw an asterisk in there because Liverpool has just been decimated, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, if they if they can continue on this trajectory, and if they get, I've said it, if they get Holland, they will be a, a force next season. We'll see. What do you think? What What do you think would make? And may there's there may not be an answer to this, but what do you think would make the fans happy? Uh, at this point, other than the Glazers leaving, because I don't think they really understand the levity if they happen, because there's not many people that can come in and just give this whatever the price tag is, and it's going to be astronomical uh, in the billions for this club. Yeah, I you know, I don't know. Like the fans, there's this sort of in vogue uh, 50 plus one structure that, you know, obviously is popularized from the Bundesliga in Germany. You know, that's I, I think that's a dream of these fans, probably a pipe dream. I mean, if we're being honest, it's yeah. just the, the toothpaste is out of the barn at this point in that one. Um, yeah. Dude. What do they want? They, yeah, they just want the Glazers gone, but they don't really know what they actually want. Wanting something, uh, somebody gone doesn't fix the problem. Um, you know, and it doesn't put the delicious Triscuit cracker in your stomach. So like whether what comes after that, who knows? It's sort of like Arsenal when like they're everybody's like cronky out. Yeah, let's get this Daniel Ek guy. <laughs> what what tells you what suggests that he's gonna be any better than Cronky on on like anything? So it's just, you know, the devil you know apparently is is just what they yeah. are sick of and they want a new devil to hate. Yeah, well, look, the American ownership groups in soccer, let's face it, they're not the the best because there's a lost in translation. Uh, the, the John Henry group at Liverpool, I mean, to a lesser degree, they've done really well with the club, but they were still part of this Super League. Yeah. Uh, Roman Abramovich kind of gets a pass, so to speak, I guess, non-American, so, obviously. We just assume that everything he touches is shady as hell. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I don't think, I think when he was involved with this, the Super League, everybody's like, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah. of course. I, Stand, but the American ownerships, I get it, but you, ownership aren't always going to be cuddly nice. It's about money. It's a, it's a nasty business as we got in there. But we look at the Glazers at Manchester United. They're always absent. You don't really see them communicating. They never have. That is 100% accurate that they did not talk to them. And even this letter that they released after the Super League was well below sincere. Uh, Stan Kroenke is the one at the top because we never see that guy. He just <laughs> operates in the biggest circles of money, Frank McCourt, <laughs> who left the Dodgers, the Dodgers, this was a good example because Frank McCourt left the Dodgers and the pro they protested in many ways. They, they boycotted, not boycotts, not the right word, but they, they turned away from the club, forced the sale. And now the Dodgers are in incredible shape, but he's at Olympic Marseille. And now the, the French club, which have the best fans in French football, historically and currently uh, they're up in arms and they're off the radar in the French league. So I guess maybe we need better American owners, but I, to be an owner in that stratosphere of money, you, you've got to get your hands dirty and you got to be mysterious. The big yeah. billionaires are. Yeah. There's, it's just, it's, it's the devil, you know, type thing. I don't think you're the, you're never going to find a cuddly billionaire. Um, but to the point, I think that Manchester United and Arsenal, they can have a better, just have open a dialogue with yeah. fans or supporter groups. And that alone would help ease some of the tension, I think, um, you know. Sam, Sam's army. Let's talk some football. All right. Your favorite right, topic. Let's talk about it. We're going to preview the champions league, but I'm going to start with Christian Pulisic who had the baby. I mean, the baby. 
<laughs> I mean, did you ever think in your life you'd be watching a Champions League semifinal uh, with an American player? You could argue the most important player. He scored the, the, the goal for Chelsea against Real Madrid, the semifinals. <laughs> I was like, this is, is this happening? And obviously, you know, I, I, I see a lot of the folks talk about him and they're, they, they say, yeah, he's an up and coming player. I go, no, 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 no. This is a, a top <laughs> star in the game. Top 20 player on the planet. I mean, I, who's scoring goals in semifinals of the Champions League? He didn't play this weekend. Uh, Chelsea didn't need him against Fulham. To me, that looks like Thomas Tuchel saying, I am saving my best guy for the biggest game of the year. That's going to be coming up. That's going to be on Wednesday, Stamford Bridge, Real Madrid. And if they get by Real Madrid, which is very feasible, they will save him, and he is going to be a featured player in a Champions League final. He has become uh, just uh, inexpendable for this club. They need him to reach these heights. They're still going for an FA Cup. Still going for a Champions League spot. I think they'll probably get there. You know, they, they're going to cross a lot off this list. The only issue is we got to put them in bubble bubble wrap. That's exactly right. You but that's the only issue now. It's wrap. not constantly. <laughs> it's just the injury stuff. But this this is pretty seismic. Now we have owners. We're talking about American players. Yeah, exactly. And we'll get to coaching in a minute. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, listen, world, Christian Pulisic is a world-class soccer player. He just is. Like, if he's healthy – uh, you know, the best ability is availability. Um, and if he can, and I think staying healthy is a, is a skill. It's a skill that some players have to learn it. Some players never learn it. Um, what's our guy, uh, Danny. Oh gosh. The Liverpool guy who just, he would tear a liver, um, a hamstring every, uh, you know, five not, minutes. I can't not Danny that. Murphy. No, liberal. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll figure. It'll come to me. Um, <laughs> I can't believe I, I forget uh, who this is. But it um, lay into that story and then that mystery guy for Liverpool. You, what did you? What was your search engine? What did you put? Danny Liverpool injury. What was yeah, this? I, I put Liverpool hamstring injury and it didn't actually come up. Oh man, I screwed. Who is it? Current player. No, he's the guy. He's the striker. Sturridge. Daniel Sturridge. Daniel Sturridge. Yes, the poster boy for hamstring exactly. injuries. Every, him and uh, Mikel Antonio, your boy. Oh, uh, God. They just can't Cursed. stay. They cannot stay healthy. Uh, and same thing with Pulisic. Listen, if you if he can learn how to stay healthy, he is just going to be a beast. Um, and we saw it. You know, we saw the best of him in that Real Madrid game when, you know, he brought down that, that long ball from uh, Rudiger and beat a couple guys and class finish. It's just like, that's just, that's who he is. And it's just normalized now that he is a player who can score in a Champions League semifinal against Real Madrid. That's just normalized at this point. Um, and I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I'm good with that. Um, also, Tommy Tukes, my guy, he... Uh, Tommy Tukes. Tommy Tukes. He's been amazing. He's been yeah. amazing. He's played yeah. every card right. I might have to back down from my initial thing. I, I thought that he should have featured Pulisic earlier, but whatever he's done, he's gotten to this point. So far be it for me to second guess him. This has been remarkable. He really has. I mean, I'm all about the the Tuchel out on Twitter and Instagram just because he's doing so well. <laughs> like we need him out of Chelsea. He's just doing too well. Um, but he took Pulisic off early. I think like maybe 65th minute or so against Real Madrid. And honestly, that's probably 
pretty smart. I mean, he he knows how to use Polisic. Like he's been around Polisic longer than just about anybody other than his dad, Polisic's dad at this point. Um, and he knows that, you know, workload management is going to be an issue with Polisic. And, uh, you know, you mentioned he didn't play this weekend. So he's going to be ready to go against Real Madrid in the second leg on Wednesday. And God, it's just, it's going to be fun to watch. You know, it's going to be, I, it, it's you and I both know <clears throat> and probably a lot of people listening who aren't Chelsea fans, but are Americans, you know, it's a, it's awkward. <laughs> you know, what do you do when, when uh, Pulisic scores to perhaps push Chelsea further in the champions league? I mean, you know, it's just mixed emotions all over the place, but ultimately I, I, I have, I just root for him. So yeah, I'm, of course. I'm, I'm, but I'm, like, I'm in it. With all the U.S., with all the excitement for the U.S. men's national team, but I, I, I still temper it because of the injuries. So I'm assuming he's doing this, but I'm preparing that he won't be available for World Cup qualifiers. God forbid he's not available for the World Cup, but you have to have your guard up with that. So I look at, I, I unfortunately look at the U.S. men's team through a different lens, like how they are with Pulisic and how they would look without, which you have to prepare yourself. I, I, I see the Chelsea team also, and there was a couple balls he played in that semifinal that if they had a better striker other than yeah. Timo Werner, Timo, they, this, yes. that, this series is over. They yeah. score three goals. I mean, there was what like the second minute he, he set Werner up for a just absolute sitter and Werner hit like the 5% of the goal or the goal he was in was there. His finishing has been world-class atrocious, but I think he's actually going to eventually come good just because his movement is so good. His awareness is so good. The, like the law of, of large numbers suggests that he's just going to start putting the ball into the goal at some point. Um as but much as I don't want him to. But you better prepare this as a Spurs fan because I heard Romelo Lukaku's on the shopping list. Now, there's a guy who can tuck it away and could make beautiful music with Christian Pulisic. I tell Chelsea, Boy. save your money and go get Daryl DK. Ah, brilliant. Brilliant <laughs> move right there. He's going to be a – he is a – I hope he can translate to the Premier League. You know, it's a different from championship to, to Premier League. It's, it's different. But, man, he has been – He's just, been so good in the championship. You so figure – so you know, good. like with Tammy Abraham tore up the championship. I'm not comparing those two seasons. Tammy Abraham had a historic one for Aston Villa. Uh, and I think Daryl DK is so dominant and the Barnsley had no business going to the playoffs. They're there on his shoulders. There's, yeah. there's no argument there. Oh, I love it. I love right. to see it. I love so, to see it. Let's take a look at the semifinals. Uh, I'm starting to think it's going to be Manchester United, Chelsea, because Tuchel has this wrapped around his finger in so many ways. Real Madrid are so inconsistent, but they could turn it on. They're involved in a lot of other games as well, but as is Chelsea, a lot of other important games coming down. But what I saw from that first leg tells me that Chelsea, I think, should be able to get through. It's not going to be pretty, although they said about the first leg and the first leg actually before the rain was pretty decent. So I think you have a chance there. Now, the other one, so, I mean, if, if you're telling me to make a prediction, I'm going to go Manchester City, Chelsea, which is bonkers, because I would have said, I think I had the other two prior. The first leg with PSG, I mean, everyone's going masterclass Pep Guardiola. I was like, this is some of the worst tactical adjustments by a manager I've seen in a long time, talking about Pochettino, because they were all over City, and then they come out of the halftime, and they completely changed roles. City was dominant. Uh PSG gave two really soft goals that could have both been prevented. They got defensive. Their midfield line was almost like two yards in front of their back line. And I'm screaming at the TV. What are you doing? Why? 
And now I think PSG, if they go back to being aggressive, they could score two goals at, at the Etihad and get through here. I wouldn't rule it. It's not going to be a huge surprise if that happens. But that 45-minute put them in such a bad spot that I, I, I don't feel bad for them now if they get knocked out. They kind of deserve to be eliminated. They deserve to be ridiculed because whatever happens in that locker room, whether it was tactical shifts, whether it was players checking out, is unacceptable. They were better than City, and then they were miles worse in the second half, and it's going to probably cost them a spot in the Champions League final. Yeah, it was a quintessential tale of two halves. Like, when in that first half, you do not see Manchester City get played off the pitch, you know, the way they did. Yeah. The first 45 minutes, it was crazy to watch. And then the, just how different the second half was. I will sort of wonder if perhaps it's not all, you know, tactical adjustments and stuff, if PSG just got tired. They might have just, you know, wore themselves yeah. out, you know, trying to play with City the way that City plays. Um, but yeah, Neymar was gone, Mbappe was silent. It was, it was so strange how different that second half was. Um, it, this, I'm really interested in in this the Tuesday game, PSG and City. I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know what to expect from this game, but man, I'm I'm geeked about this uh, about watching it. it. Should be so much fun. That second half reminded me when I was playing rugby in Miami and we played uh, against British naval teams and they'd come in, they'd be killing us in the first half and I'd go in the locker room and I'd put sleeping dust in all their beverages. I'm just kidding. But that's kind of, you know, it's yeah, kind of, like. someone slipped something. Like. It's like they slipped something in their drink. Yeah. That's what it looked yeah. like. Or, uh, or, you know, Pochettino is, you know, channeling his inner Jose and, you know, went <sighs> second half, just let's, let's, uh, Let's play boring defensive soccer and um, try and bend down the hatches, and it just didn't work. Oh man, it was just disappointing. It really was. Who do you? What's your what's your final pick based on what's happened in the first legs? God, I have been going <laughs> against this. So Chelsea and Real Madrid is just an interesting one for me to pick because I've been saying for months that I just don't think Chelsea's that good, and they just keep winning, and they keep you know, and they keep winning ugly. So I'm going to keep saying it. I don't think Chelsea's going to make it through. I'm going to say Real Madrid because every time I pick against Real Madrid, they just make me look like an idiot too. Um, I know that Real Madrid, I don't know what their injury situation was. I know that's sort of an, uh, been a bugaboo with them. I'm just going to say Real Madrid because in the Champions League, they just find a way to do it. Um, so I'm going to go Real Madrid in that one. And PSG City. Oh. There's going to be goals. There's going to be oh. goals. I really don't know. And PSG has gone on the road and played with, uh, what, both uh, Bayern and Bayern. Bayern. And and, and torched them. Right. On the road, too. So this, you know, never count PSG out at this point. But I got to go City. I think City's just the better team. Like, I I know that PSG is – and I'm going to be rooting for PSG. I'm rooting for Pochettino because basically if they win the Champions League – that's a banner for Spurs. That is oh, okay. I see. Absolute banner for Spurs. You'll take it. Um, and I listen, I'm rooting for Pochettino. Whatever he does, wherever he goes, I'm always going to be a huge Pochettino fan. So I'm rooting for PSG. I just think City is – I just think they're too good. Yeah, and they didn't play well in the first, and they're going to play better, and they're going to be at home, whatever that – I'm predicting PSG wins the second leg 2-1. They go extra time, and Manchester City wins the penalties, which everyone would love to see. But it. it's Love a wait. It's, it's very good. And I hope we don't get an all league final Manchester City Chelsea because those always stink. They're the yep. worst finals. Yeah. Whether Remember, it's Serie A. 
two years ago we had uh what is it liverpool and tottenham that and was a that was a brutal Champions league it, that was brutal giving up a penalty in the 23 seconds in i don't even want to talk there was about a that. juventus milan game it was like 12 years ago that was one of the few times i've ever fallen asleep in a game <laughs> and i've watched games at two in the morning i've watched really bad leagues that was one of the few times i'm sitting there and my eyes just shut the champions league <laughs> final yeah, that's crazy. That they know awesome. each other. It's not good. So let's hope at least Real Madrid or PSG win. I think Real Madrid obviously has uh, a better shot. But obviously, I, I look at all these games, by the way, and I get worried because all this is going away soon. And we're like, uh, yeah, well, what's going to happen? What is going to happen next? We shall see. <laughs> uh, we talked Real Madrid, so I'm going to do a little segue. Not a really smooth one. And look at the La Liga race, which... Uh, is still very hot. Sevilla, which I think I talked to Keith Costigan about this last week on the pod. I think Sevilla has a real shot. Barcelona dropped points in the midweek to Granada and they bounced back where they were victorious over the weekend against Valencia. They actually had to go, they had to fight to the very end. It ended up 3 2. Barcelona was my pick last week. I'm switching it to Sevilla. I don't know why. I'm crazy. <laughs> Messi missed another penalty. Do you know he's missed like 20% of his penalties? Yeah, I know that like that's the one thing that he has always been semi-mortal with, you know, that his penalty record. Because I'm used to watching Harry Kane, who is as automatic as anybody has ever been with, with penalties. But Messi, whatever it is, he just he misses a lot of penalties. Now he missed a penalty, but he did he did knock it in off the rebound. So I guess you still that still classifies a missed penalty. Atletico won, Real Madrid won. So Atletico's two points up on Real and Barcelona, and they're six points up on Sevilla. I can't pick Sevilla, but Sevilla plays Monday. If they win, they'll be at 73. Three games to go. Saturday, Barcelona, Atletico, big Real weekend. Madrid, Sevilla. Big weekend. This the big four play each other. Yeah, might determine it. Yeah, I'm rooting for Sevilla. I would love to see them, you know, pip these the, the big boys. Uh, I love Sam, I love it when teams do that. Sam, but you know what? I was I was watching these and I, I, I to the audience because I mentioned this last week, but I was watching some of these Spanish shows and they're the data gives Sevilla a really good shot because A, they're healthy, their schedule is a little more agreeable, and all the data points show that they should be able to get it. But I to, they're gonna have to win at least three of the last four, if not all four, to to pull it off. And Atlético Madrid's just been there with their noses. They actually they've been caught for a brief minute, they've had their noses out in front the whole time. Yeah, I mean, this weekend is going to be huge when when uh, Sevilla go to Real Madrid. Obviously, that's big. They they have the advantage of Real Madrid coming off the Champions League, so you know that's it's a good time if you got to play them. Not a bad time to do it. So, yeah, I'm 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 rooting for Sevilla. I'll just be honest. I'm rooting for Sevilla, but uh, it is a long shot. It uh, European leagues are wrapping up. Uh, I wanted to touch on the French league. Oh, uh, let me add this first: Lionel Messi. With whether Barcelona wins or not, does he stay? I think he's going to stay either way. I heard, I heard that there he might take a pay cut to make room for Erling Haaland, which would be <laughs> insane. And by the way, Barcelona massively in debt, like all these other big clubs, and still spending to obviously make their fans happy, and that would make him more happy. I think I'm starting to think that might be the destination, and that would just obviously be the cherry on top for Messi staying there. I want to see Messi play somewhere else. I think it'd be fun for the fans. But it doesn't matter what I want. It's it's what he wants. 
I, I, he strikes me as someone who likes to be comfortable. You know, Ronaldo's the exact opposite. He wants to challenge himself here and there. Neither approach is the wrong way. Messi probably pushes back. He's still playing at an incredible level. He pushes back going somewhere else, but I don't think he's going to go to a club like Man City in two years. He won't be able to, he won't be able to run there. MLS somewhere else. That might I, be the most. I want to see him in MLS in a couple of years. I don't care how it works. He could just be like an all-time offense. Just throw him on. doesn't matter who he plays for. Just get him out there in MLS. I'd, I'd be all about that. But, yeah, I think he stays in Barcelona. I think he's, you know, I think that's where he's. Yeah, going. that's no fun. That's no fun. I know. Uh, we, I want to get into the city on Inter clinched the Scudetto. First time in a decade someone other than Juventus had won. And what the, what the ramifications. I did want to touch on Lille. Uh, in France, they they keep winning, and they're one point ahead of PSG. So whether Lille gets it, uh, you know we we're going to get a new champion in Italy. We are potentially going to get a, something different in Spain if Sevilla does it. And if Lille, that's the craziest one because it seemed like PSG were so far ahead of everyone else in France that we might get a champion. And I think that just revitalizes and it reinvigorates everything that we've been talking about on the global scale and a big punch in the stomach for the super league, because these super clubs are relinquishing some of their power. So that's a good thing because we don't, we watch the leagues to see competition and there's no competition in a lot of these leagues, certainly not in the Bundesliga. We'll have to wait on that, but change is good. Yeah. I mean, it's great for Syria, for, for Ligue 1. Um, my, my guy, Mikey podcast, who's, who, um, he's, he's typically on, on our podcast. He, he's a big league on guy. Like he, he watches it all the time. Farmers you know, league. He, <laughs> yeah. I, that's what I say. And then, you know, he always fights back on that. Uh, but yeah, if Lil pull this off and they, they've only, so they're, they're one up on PSG with, I think three games to go. And the three games that, that Lil play are like Lowndes, St. Etienne and Angers. Like those are very winnable games. And you know they could they could absolutely pull us off. I'm rooting for it. You know Timothy Weah, uh, he he'd be a league going champ. I like that. Uh, Jonathan David, uh, North American hero. We pull for Canada, right? We pull for Canada. Yeah, I say North American heroes, but yeah, yes, not not Canada, not Mexico. I can't root for them, but I'll, well, they were they they very established power. That's fine. I mean, there's no exactly. fun in there. They're supposed to be really good. Exactly. But yeah, all these success stories in North Jonathan David scores a ton of goals for them. So it's uh it's pretty good in Tim Way, but uh a great coach. This is a good a, a, winning a league is really difficult. 38 weeks churning it out, and they're gonna ha- I think they're gonna have to win their last three games because PSG is one point behind them. And not PSG, if they're locked in, they're gonna be locked in. Yeah. So uh, the what does it mean in Italy though? As we flip it, this is this is pretty seismic because I think. Inter winning it obviously gives uh, a lot of uh, gives a lot of what is the word I'm looking for? Forget it. But it gives them a lot to 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 look to push this brand to push the league. Juventus have been focused on the Champions League, and now they are you know they have to worry about this one more year of Cristiano Ronaldo under his contract. Word is that they may find a way to get out of it because it hasn't gone well for him and. Juventus to me look like some a club that has to do a pretty significant shift here. You know, Andrea Pirlo, the jury's still out. They have to still fight to make the Champions League. And you talk about a shot to the Super League. Yeah. You imagine uh, some of these big clubs, certainly Juventus at the top of the list, not qualifying. They're 
it's right there. A Milan. The top four would be Inter, Atalanta, who are in there every year, Italian Super Club at this point. And then it would be Juventus, Milan, and then Lazio and Napoli, or in reverse order, Napoli, Lazio, yeah. right there to, to jump in. I think Milan may be running out of steam, but, you know, Juventus have to finish that job. But it's everything's coming so difficult for them. I think we're we're headed to a, a, a Serie A that is more competitive. And that doesn't bode well for Juventus and their hopes for a Super League, because I think their brand's going to take a little bit of a shot here. And I think yeah. Ronaldo might leave. I, I think he might too. Um, his, you know, he's still a poacher. He's, he is a poacher, but I, I don't know if that's what they really need. And they definitely need a whole revamp. Uh, it's, it sort of stinks because I, I've been saying Inter Milan for the last two or three years, I was like, I think they're going to get Juve this season. I think they're going to get Juve this season. And then Juve signed um, Weston McKenney. And, I, and so I just, I couldn't say Inter. Uh, I just felt wrong. I felt like a, you know, some sort of communist if I, if I said the Inter was going to catch him this year. And of course they did. They did. They're, they are going to, I mean, they won. So yeah, it's unfortunate. It's good. It's good for Syria. I mean, like, you know, it's good for Liga. You need to have some competition. That's what the big problem with Bundesliga is, you know, Byron just is just too dominant. Um, it's, it's great for the league, you know, to have Inter um, break the streak of whatever, 700 million um, Scudettos in a row that Juve won. Um, that an accurate count? Ca- that's an accurate yeah, I estimate. It's an estimate. An estimate, okay, all right. Um, but it also shows why Juve, why Agnelli was such a snake about the Super League stuff, you know, and why Juve absolutely needs that. They needed that to, to happen. Uh, yeah, they could easily fall out of the top four. You know, Napoli is, is right on their tail. So uh, <laughs> that would be interesting. I mean, it would. It just raised all sorts of financial problems probably for them. And who knows what happens then uh, now that they can't, you know, they don't have enough money to pay the ref- referees anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so little walk around uh, money. Uh, yeah, uh, listen, listen, I, love, I love you, man. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, and I love corruption. It, it, look, Italy's going to, it's Italy's going to shoot itself in the foot. They always do just when they coming up for air, something happens. It's the, it's, and I'm not saying look, you, the Italians out there, you, you don't have a, a, a foot to stand on on this because we've seen it. The Calciopoli scandal, the match fixing, it all happens. I hope the books are clean, but I hold my breath. All right. But I love Italian football. Uh, back in my modeling days, I got to spend a couple months in Milan and fell in love with the city. And I got to go to games. And if you're not familiar, it is people yell at me. It is the biggest rivalry in the world. And there's a lot of reasons for it. The history, the fact that they share a stadium and the, the fabric within there and how you are either Milan or Inter. There's nothing like it. Real Madrid, Barcelona, obviously is huge, but they don't have, you know, these families separated by it. So if you look at the cultural aspect of Inter Milan and you put all that into a, a, into a, into a bowl, it comes out as the biggest rivalry, obviously Celtic Rangers, Boca River can do that, but the Milan situation is just a different level, I think, because the stadium, but I saw it on your on your social media handles and the celebrations there in the plaza with the Duomo. And I go, man, it's good to have Milan. It's a big remember two Milan teams were going to go to the Super League. They're kind of on the outskirts, but it's a big footballing town. It's a fashion town. It's good for Milan to have a little taste, you know? It's good to have AC Milan back in the mix, too. 
You know, yes. that's, that's huge for Syria. If you're talking about like, it's good that Inter broke Juve's streak, but it's also good to have AC Milan back in the mix when they were finishing, you know, 12th every season. That was, it was, it just wasn't good for, for the, the league. You know, it's just like college football. You need Notre Dame to be somewhere around the, uh, the, really? the playoff. <laughs> I <laughs> really? mean, that's what they say. That's what they, I'm not a Notre Dame fan, uh, but that's what they say just in terms of, you know, the interest and having those blue bloods, uh, around just adds some, you know, interest, I guess, especially for, for more casual fans. Juventus Milan on Sunday. So that's obviously another game, you know, to add to the list that's going to resonate and all these games will be gone and the summer is going to be fun, but Juventus Milan, I want Milan to make the champions league. They're interesting, but they could, I could easily see them slide off the back here. Uh, the four teams that are there now, I'm satisfied because I love Atalanta because they're entertaining. You want Juventus and the two Milan clubs all in the Champions League. Obviously, UEFA wants that too. But whether we get it, that's the whole premise of the Super League, right? You want these teams to earn it. Earn your spot. Exactly. Exactly. You can't just take it. You got to earn it. That's earn the it. whole point. Can you do it like that That voice that I did? Was that, was that, who was that? Was it, were you channeling your like Sean Connery with that? No, but it was, you remember that commercial? It was, it was like H&R Block from the 80s. And it was like that John Houseman, that actor goes, they don't have it. Da, da, da. They earn it. <laughs> this you don't remember before? This was my oh, thing. You might have just uh, aged yourself on that one. Oh, that's the last thing I want to do here. To the young <laughs> listeners, please don't be discouraged. Hang in there. Uh, I, let's talk about Jesse Marsh. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty cool. He has become the third manager, uh, he was second manager currently to coach in the Bundesliga, third overall to do it. We know about American coaches overseas. And for the ownership group, again, I will tell you, there is a pushback, anything American. The players, obviously, they perform and they get into the bloodstream quickly. Managers, you are immediately go, this is an American. Uh, are you sure you want to do this? They don't look at the sport the same way we do here in Europe. So there's no doubt Jesse Marsh had to clear a few hurdles. He joins Pellegrino Matarazzo, who's at Stuttgart who was born in, by the way, all these coaches that go over to Europe are all from New Jersey. Matarazzo, Bob Bradley, who was at 11 games for Swansea, got done dirty there, but that seems like a, a lifetime ago. And Jesse Marsh, too, from Wisconsin, but got some Jersey ties. I think he's a Princeton guy. Matarazzo went to Columbia, so getting an Ivy League is a good way to get a European coaching job. So I can tell you that. Ivy League, they like Ivy League education in Europe. I want to, this... You want to see more of this. You've got to do the right path to obviously get it. Red Bull, I think we owe a debt of gratitude for putting Jesse Marsh in the system with Red Bull New York. We went to Red Bull Salzburg, and now he goes to Red Bull Leipzig, RB Leipzig, which were in the semifinals of the Champions League last season. High expectations. They're going to they're gonna have ambition. So it's a big job. This is an important job, and I think we all have to watch and hope he succeeds. If he doesn't, it's going to be tough because the America is going to look as an experiment. I hope I'm wrong. I'm just thinking out loud or saying that out loud, but I think they will say, eh, maybe we should be a little reluctant. Pellegrino Matarazzo is an American, but he played in, he played in Germany so long. He kind of became European by proxy in some ways because of his experiences there. And Jesse Marsh too. I mean, he put his time in with the, the Leipzig crew and, um, Ralph Ragnick, who kind of gave him that opportunity, but it's, I know if it doesn't work out well, it's going to be bad. If it works out well, it will open doors. And I guess the next thing is to look who could be next. And 
you got to have some connect. You got to have a mentor like Red Bull or something. I think that's true. Uh, Steve, or you have to have that European feeling. That's why I know Steve Chirundolo, who's now coaching the USL Las Vegas team under LAFC, might be a guy who's able to do it. I think the Germans are the ones that will give the opportunity before any other country too. But hey, it's a gateway. I'll take it. But this is big news, right? Huge, huge litmus test, as you said, for, for American coaching. You know, I, Bob Bradley is is the one that really sort of sticks out the previous big litmus test, and uh, we failed. <laughs> you know, whether it was Bob Bradley, whether it was the situation, uh, whether it was both, who knows? But it just did not go well for Bob Bradley in Swansea or at Swansea. And whether that took some of the, um, you know, motivation or interest in hiring American coaches, you know, who knows? Like, I, I don't know, but there haven't been a lot of big you know, American coaches named uh, in Europe lately. So, you know, I think that Marsh's success uh, could be a huge watershed moment if, if it uh, turns out that way. And hopefully it does. He's gone about it the right way. He, he's, while he is American, uh, he speaks the language. I, I'm like, I, every time I hear him talk, I'm like, he sounds like a German. Um, but like, so he's, he's gone about it sort of in the, in the right way. He's gone from, as you said, New York to Salzburg to now Leipzig. Um, and I'm just excited to see he's, he's known as sort of an innovator. He's known as sort of a flexible uh, tactician in, in the way that he approaches things. So what that means in, in Bundesliga, I guess we'll see. Um, but I'm, I'm really interested. I think he's got, you know, he's got the pedigree to, to make it make it work. Um, I, I think, I assume he's going to be the U.S. You know, men's national team coach at some point. Um, and hopefully um, it all goes well. I just, you know, all I know is that RBL is basically going to be America's favorite Bundesliga team, which is actually kind of ironic because they're the least favorite Bundesliga team in Germany. Um, so hopefully Room. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little weird dynamic there. I'm sure most people know that, you know, they, they look at, they're seen as like what this plastic team essentially in Germany, which is, yeah. has the history of being very the 50 plus one and all that stuff. So uh, it's an interesting dynamic, but he, I think he's got all the right skills and the right background and the right temperament and the right everything to, to make it work. So I'm, I'm excited to see and, and uh, definitely hopeful that, that he opens doors, as you said, for, for more American coaches, because, you know, we need that. We need, yeah. we need guys to go overseas and, and uh, succeed and, and just sort of lay the path, lay the foundation for, for more and better. For all, everyone we do, and we're all in this American soccer sphere, for all of us that want to do it on a global stage, whether you're a player, a coach, uh, a referee, a broadcaster, any of those things that you need to have these guys go and show that it can be done. I think the good news for Jesse who I have his email, so I'm going to ask for some Champions League tickets. I'm going to, I'm going to be that guy. <laughs> hey, congratulations, Jesse. You can get a couple of tickets for uh, that Barcelona quarterfinal. Thanks, man. I'll, I'll pick them up at will call. So uh, it's, I think Leipzig are putting him in a position to succeed where Swansea didn't put Bob Bradley in that position. It's not going to be a, a change to the system. He's familiar. He's not going to have to come in and go, hey, guys, this is how we do it. it it's, it's all, you know, it's, it's all fluid uh, from one club to the next, which is great. Uh, and I think, but that's, you know, that's an outlier of a situation. One club is going to have to look at an American manager and kind of take a chance on him. Uh, what, Cause he had success in MLS or he did this. I don't know when that's going to happen. This, all the things fell perfectly in place. There's been a lot of managers and coaches who have gotten jobs 
smaller leagues. Bob Bradley obviously coached in France and Norway, um, in somewhere else in Scandinavia, or Greg Berhalter was in Sweden. So they, the smaller leagues, yes, but what's the best route? I don't know, but obviously having a successful guy there goes a long way. Yeah, and they're going to have Tyler. I mean, they have Tyler Adams. Hopefully, Brennan Aronson moves up with him That's at right. some point soon. And, uh, the, you know, the, all the scuttlebutt suggests Caden Clark from New York is, is headed that way. So, listen, RBL is, is going to be America's Bundesliga team very short. Yeah, they should have, like, Hulk Hogan with I Am A Real American playing every time we do it. And then they are, the Europeans will hate us. They're okay. like, aha, we've infiltrated your leagues. <laughs> Just be the give us your money. Lean in, lean into the you know the evil empire. Uh, Smoking cigars with Cronky over here, man. We're having a blast. (laughs) How do I get on the channel? Okay, I may have gone too far. May have gone too far. Hey, we covered some good ground here. Yeah, yeah. Listen, it's I'm my friends always the ones that actually know that I do like this podcast or podcasting stuff and blogging stuff. Cause I'm sort of pseudonymous. I'm sort of, you know, uh, what is that? Wait, you told me I pseudonymous and forgive my, my ignorance, but that means you just kind of, I got a, like a gnome de plume, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you've gone full Euro. Who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> I, I, trust me. My, my French, I think that's French. My French yeah. is not very good. So yeah, I just pulled that out of my butt. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's a mysterious thing. There's a mysterious thing. So Sam's army on, on the social media handles on Instagram. It's fantastic. You have a really great wit about you and a a wonderful writer. You make me laugh out loud many times (laughs) and your pro American stuff makes me, (laughs) makes me feel like we're not alone here screaming from the rooftops. Right, right. We're moving in the right direction. Uh, You got to, a little bit over the top sometimes, but uh, it's all in good fun. And that's, that's what I'm trying to, you know, bring soccer into soccer is the mainstream. Let's be honest. Soccer is in the mainstream, but I, you know, just want to talk about soccer the way that we talk about football and the way we talk about baseball and, you know, the way, that sort of thing. Right. And have you seen that with, with your, your audience, like you're like introducing and say, this is cool. And they're like, yeah, I'm kind of getting into it. So maybe I'll spend a few hours a week watching it or consuming yeah, absolutely, it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've got to build different. new fans. Exactly. And that's, that's what uh, a lot of the people in the sort of established soccer world who, who either hate me or, you know, just don't respect me or, you know, first of all, they don't know me because if they knew me, they probably would like me. You're a good um, dude. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, relatively nice. If you punch me, I'm going to punch back. But like, other than that, I'm, I'm a relatively nice guy. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I'm the thing about Barstool is that they have a platform and it, it's tons of people who aren't, soccer fans right and so if we're trying to grow the sport that's people you got to sort of reach out to you got to talk to them you got to speak their language when you do it you got to be not so freaking snobby you know about like oh how long have you been a soccer fan like no ditch all that stuff get rid of that stuff um and just talk about soccer in a normal way and not just men's soccer but women's soccer. just talk about it like a normal sport and you know um, it'll bring people in. And I have noticed that people, there's num- numerous different sort of pathways. Like there's some people that play FIFA and get into it. There's some people yeah. that gamble and get into it. Um, and there's just different ways of, uh, coming to the sport. And if you, you sort of welcome them in with open arms and maybe wrap it in a little pro America, um, you know, I think it works. Sometimes. I do too. And I, I'm always stunned that we're always so reluctant to try and get new fans we always say we want to do it but we never put the work into it and we live in this incubator and we're happy and i go don't we want more don't we want 
to bring this to the masses. Obviously, there's there's a, a, a dollar sign attached to everyone who covers soccer that if we have bigger audience, that'll bring advertisers. So it's it should be encouraged at every step. And you know, like to your point, it's Barcel, you have this platform. Why would we not approach that group of people the same way we do with these those the pseudo intellectuals and all that that cover soccer <laughs> with equal energy? It's yeah. it, it blows my mind. So I appreciate you out there doing your work, God's work. Uh, I, I appreciate it, Max. Always, <laughs> always, it's always nice, uh, you know, compliments from from uh, guys like you who I grew up. Don't watching, don't you know. don't you don't start. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. I'll leave okay. It at that. <laughs> Sam's Army, check him out. I will be coming back here with stoppage time. I will be talking about the 2022 World Cup. How is it going to look? From our American perspective, where are we going to see it and how? Answer that next. This is the Soccer OG. Welcome back to the Soccer OG. Time now for stoppage time. I can stop it anytime I want. This week, I'm going to be talking about the World Cup. And it's right around the corner. 2022 in Qatar. Next winner. Our winner. When I think of great World Cup successes for the United States, I think of 2002, games held in Korea and Japan. The U.S., two good young players into the mix to the 1998 squad that didn't fare well. That group joined by Demarcus Beasley and Landon Donovan, and they captured the imagination. Opening game, beating Portugal, the Portugal of Luis Figo and Rui Costa, 3-2. Then they tied the hosts, South Korea, 1-1, in a, a very hostile uh, environment, the goal by Clint Mathis. Uh, then they lost to Poland, and then we had to hold our breath. But we got a solid from South Korea, and we made the round of 16. Round of 16, you could not believe the good fortune. Mexico were incredible in the groups. They won their group. I believe it was ahead of Italy. They won their group. And the United States finished second, and then they drew each other. No one really could have projected that could... You wouldn't watch the World Cup and go, hey, maybe Mexico-USA meet in the round of 16. No chance. You didn't even think about it, but it happened. And all of a sudden, the United States, instead of playing a team like Belgium that you're always going to be second fiddle to, you're facing a Mexico team that you've beaten many times. You know how to beat. And they beat them again this time. 2-0. The United States next moved to the quarterfinals where they would face Germany. And I've watched that game so many times since. The USA outplayed the Germans. It was unbelievable. Dubious missed call by referee Hugh Dallas that should have awarded the United States a penalty. Could have tied... 1-1. Anyhow, the USA get bounced out. By the way, what a great World Cup where you have South Korea and Turkey in the semifinals. I love that World Cup. But there was one big problem with that World Cup. There was one big problem. You know what it was? It was in Korea and Japan, which meant games are at 1 a.m., 2 a.m. I was on the West Coast. I remember going, trying to go to bars, and they couldn't. You know, no one's happy. You can't capture the imagination of the American public when games are that hour. It is, uh, they would find out the day after. Oh my God. So really couldn't get those things going. I was at bars and there was like a few people there. They were serving tea. I don't want tea. I wanted a frosty cold one. You know how much money? Bars are happy. Restaurants are happy during the World Cup because they're packed. They're getting great business on a Tuesday afternoon or a Tuesday morning, but not at that hour. You know, bars in LA are supposed to close at two. We had to, we, we had to shirk some things to go in there and they would serve us tea. 
Blah. My wife drinks tea. So that was the problem. We missed a great opportunity. What was a perfect World Cup? You play to the quarterfinals. You outplay Germany. You beat Mexico. You beat Luis Figo. I mean, that sounds like a science fiction movie. So we are now heading to a World Cup where we look fantastic. We talked about Christian Pulisic scoring against Real Madrid in the semifinals of the Champions League. Jesse Marsh getting the job at Red Bull Leipzig. Americans delivering. Zach Steffen playing in goal. Winning the League Cup for Manchester City. Brendan Aronson winning the Austrian Cup uh, for Salzburg. One after the other. Players delivering. It looks like we are headed for the big time. And the rallying cry is always, you see it on Twitter, we're going to win the 2026 World Cup. The 2026 World Cup is going to be the biggest soccer event uh, this country has ever seen. And we hope everything comes together so that it changes the sport once and for all, where it's into the the imagination of the American public, into the right into the veins. And it never comes back. It's part of our identity. I truly believe that is possible after that World Cup, especially if you have a team that is competitive, that people know the names of the players, not just here, but abroad. It's 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 all of that is pointing in that direction. And yes, we're going to qualify for the next World Cup. We're going to qualify. Yeah, we're definitely going to qualify. So why not look at 2022? I mean, in 2026, all these guys now could be 25, 26, 27, heading into their prime. That's only five years away. But you, you never know. Maybe 2022, everything falls in place. They get a favorable group. So how do we get the most out of that experience? Well, unfortunately, if the U.S. do well, it may be a similar situation. The World Cup is going to be in Qatar, the most maligned, scrutinized World Cup ever. I am surprised we're actually having it. I thought some point something would come up and it'd be taken away from Qatar, but it's not. It's too late. We're going on and people, the human rights situation is going to be uh, swept under the carpet because the games are here. Whether that is right or wrong, and I know it's wrong, the games are here and the World Cup will go on as a big show. Qatar the games will, first of all, it's going to be the first Winter World Cup, which blows and it's very tricky to have that here. It screws up with everything. The only one that really benefits is Major League Soccer, whose season will generally end beginning of November, let's say, around there. This World Cup starts November 21st and it ends December 18th, right through the holidays, right there in the meat and potatoes of the regular European Soccer League. So it's, it's a wrecking ball for a lot of things. But what about in the United States? Are we going to watch it? I don't know. Let's look at the time slots. We know the holidays. Thanksgiving, you know, people are busy. It's a very busy time for everyone. Christmas around the corner. The games are going to start Eastern time, 5 a.m., 8 a.m., 11 a.m., 2 p.m. So on the West Coast, 2 a.m., 5 a.m., 8 a.m., they're going to watch all these games. That's a lot. That's, that's early. Who knows what happens with these games? Now, the broadcast is going to be on Fox and Telemundo. They have the World Cup for 2022, the Women's World Cup for 2023, the World Cup for 2026. Now, everyone wants to hang on to 2026 because it's going to be huge. Fox, um, soccer-wise, they are moving away from soccer, at least as it appears now. And I know a lot of people there, and I've had people on this podcast who work there. But the reality is they lost the Champions League, went to Turner, now to CBS. 
they had the uh, the German Bundesliga. It left to ESPN. They have MLS and Liga MX and some international competitions. Uh, pales in comparison to the other portfolios elsewhere like ESPN uh, and CBS uh, and others. So who am I forgetting? That's not important. But it's, this is about Fox. Now, Fox is going to have a real dilemma. And they're going to be in the midst of football season. College football, to a smaller degree, NFL will be huge. If you haven't noticed... The NFL just did their rights deals. It was a $2 billion a year uh, to pay for NFL. Uh, 80% rise from what it was with Fox, NBC, CBS, ESPN. So $2 billion a year Fox is going to be paying. That's a lot of money. And you're not moving stuff around to accommodate them when the NFL is in, in line. The NFL is going to own it. It's going to get bigger. You want to get some returns. $4 billion in ad sales for the in the last cycle for NFL. So it delivers. It's a beast. You don't pick a fight with the NFL if you're a sport on TV. Fox, NFL overall impression, which means the amount of time that you watch Fox, what are you watching? 52% of the time is watching NFL. It's huge. The NFL is right in the thick of it. November 21st through December 18th. Remember, there's Thanksgiving games. There is weekend games. You're heading towards the final end of the season. So where would you find time for soccer? I don't know if there is going to be. Now, you could watch it on Telemundo. They won't have those conflicts. And they're going to do great. But for the English side, where Fox needs to hit, and Fox got dealt such a bad card four years ago or three years ago when the USA didn't qualify. As I said, the U.S. are going to qualify. But this is another bad blow. And I wonder if Fox... Would, and I'm not saying they're going to do this, but would it be in their best interest to sub-license those rights? You have to hold on to 2026. You have to hold on to 2026. It's going to be, even if you're not in the soccer business, if Fox is not in the soccer business, you still have the World Cup. It's a big event. Your big tent pole. And 2026 is going to be outrageous. 2022. World Cup final, you need to have it on a big network. But if it's going to be the final, it's going to be in the middle of the day when the NFL window is. Now, you can manipulate things with your schedule, but it's very tricky. I mean, it's just going to be a headache every step of the way. So what happens with this property? I'm saying if I was a business person, I was Fox, I would, I would jettison it. Get some money, focus on 2026, let somebody have it who has a little more wiggle room. Just a thought. And I think this, this is heading towards something that, look, we're gonna, I'm going to watch the games. You're going to watch the games. But I don't know if we're going to capture it all because of all of these variables in place. The NFL, the, the fact that it's in Qatar, it's a long ways away. The one thing that could overrule it if the U.S. are just gangbusters heading in, which is possible. But it's going to be tricky. Big decision for Fox. Big decision to see how they handle it. But... You don't have a lot of time. What are we talking about? We're talking about 15, 16 months away. World Cup, baby. This is the Soccer OG. We are tackling all the topics. Please subscribe. We'd love to have your support. Rate and review. We'll be back again here next week on behalf of everyone here. And it's just me right now. Placido Domingo. Talk soon. Mm-hmm.